Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it. You love it. Chase Elliott sure does love it this week. Victory Lane. Today's episode 81. No guest, but as you see, the torch has been passed. The baton has been handed off. The guard has been changed. Use whatever cliche saying you want. Chase Elliott is a cup champion. Jimmy Johnson's time as a full-time driver is done, and we're going to talk about everything in between on this here episode. We will recap the championship race from Phoenix. We will be heavy on the audio this week because we don't have a guest, but I'm going to give you every person that I can possibly give you within reason, of course. But we're saving our guest till next week. I got a reigning ARCA champion coming on. Brett Holmes is our guest next week. Really excited for you guys to hear that. But this week, we're going to give our due to the champions, Chase Elliott, Austin Sindrick, Sheldon Creed, plus David Gillen got a victory in the Arkham Menard Series West this weekend. But before we start any of that, and before we get to our reggaeton, let's pay homage to Herman the German, that's Kenny Wallace. If you guys are on Twitter, you know Kenny's tweeting up a storm all the time. I actually didn't know that he drove the 81 car in the Cup Series. I associate him with the 23 Stacker 2 car. But my dad has more on Kenny and why that nickname is what it is. Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to this week's look back at number 81. 300 starts for the 81, but only one win. That came in 1957 at the California State Fairgrounds in Sacramento for Danny Graves, the Modesto, California campaigner who had a brief nine-race cup career. One out of nine, that ain't bad. The man who drove number 81 the most, though, 104 times, was Kenny Wallace. Many of you remember Kenny as a colorful and boisterous Fox commentator, but he had a successful, if not spectacular, NASCAR career that spanned 25 years, including nine wins in the Xfinity Series. You also likely know him as the youngest of the three racing Wallace brothers, along with Mike and NASCAR Hall of Famer Rusty. But did you know what Kenny's nickname was, and is, Herman the German? And do you know how he acquired the moniker? Wallace's dad, Russ, was quite the local short track racer. He won over 400 races, and as sometimes happens in racing, winning made him unpopular among the fans. When they would say unpleasant things about his dad, little Kenny would open his mouth to retaliate. Lake Hill Speedway track promoter Bob Muller noticed Kenny's boisterous behavior and started calling him Herman after a mischievous cartoon character named Herman the German. The nickname stuck. An honorable mention nod this week goes to NASCAR Hall of Famer Jack Ingram, who made his mark in what is now the Xfinity Series. The Iron Man, as he was known, also made 19 Cup Series starts, with four of those coming in the 81 in 1967. That stint included a second-place finish behind Richard Petty at Hickory Speedway in North Carolina. And lastly, depending on when this podcast gets posted this week, it's 81 days until the Rolex 24-hour race and what I consider to be the start of Daytona Speed Week's 2021. I cannot wait to put 2020 behind us and get the new race year going. How about you, Doof? Thank you, as always, Dad. Uh, we'll, we'll get back to the Cars references sometime soon. I know it. But before we start anything else in the show, I, I, I know that you guys need to give me one big, hearty, old-fashioned Chase Elliott wins the 2020 season finale, wins the 2020 championship, torch passed at Hendrick Motorsports. 
He had been close, and he had been close to getting to the championship four with a shot to win the title, but he hadn't been able to do it in past years. Got to the round of eight, couldn't get to the championship four. Wins at Martinsville last week to vault himself into this position. Capitalized there last weekend, and boy, did he capitalize again. Chase Elliott's your champ. He had to start in the rear because they failed pre-race inspection twice. He was in the top 10 by, I think, lap 30. I think he gained stage points in the first stage, which was miraculous. But was it even? Because I don't really think so. When you look at it, he did have the fastest car. I mean, Logano led a lot of laps. Kozlowski won stage two. But Chase, it was clear that the nine car had a lot of speed in it. And it stayed that way all race long. So let's get right down to brass tacks. What changed in the last two weeks to make Chase get over the hump, not being able to make the championship four, to not only making it, but delivering and winning his first championship at 24 years old? Here's the champ. You know, I look at the guys who have achieved this honor as guys who perform in the toughest of situations. And I felt like that's been an area that we haven't done a great job of over my first five years, um, really up until last week. And we had a tough situation, a performer go home type night there at Martinsville and was able to step up and, and really get the job done. And I thought that was the piece of the puzzle that we haven't had. Uh, and, and I really felt like we had everything else that we needed. And I really believe that. So um, last week was a big week. And, you know, I think it was a great practice session and, and a um, situation that, that really helped guide us uh, through today and in and preparation and execution. We will talk about Jimmy Johnson and give him his proper due later on in the show. But Chase chatted about this really cool moment that happened post-race. So Chase is on the cool-down lap. He bangs doors with Jimmy. And then... Him and Jimmy kind of cross paths in turn four. They high-five in the car. And Jimmy, I wasn't listening to the radio, but Zach Albert tweeted it. Cliff Daniels basically said, hey, man, this car's going in the Hall of Fame. You're the greatest. Burn that thing down. And Jimmy, in in true Jimmy Johnson fashion, he radioed back. He said, nah, those donuts are for Chase. And that made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. But Chase right here actually recalled a really cool memory, and, and it's a really cool storybook type of thing now that his dad and Matt Kenseth shared a moment similar to this in 2003 at Rockingham. I looked everywhere for the photos or for the video footage on the race broadcast, but I couldn't find it. Chase apparently, though, in their house, they have a picture of Bill Elliott in the nine car and Matt Kenseth in the 17 doing a very similar thing and exchanging high fives in their cars. And he said that as his moment was happening with Jimmy, he thought of that. Yeah, we were just screaming, or I was screaming. I don't know what he said, uh, but I know we high fived each other, and that was really cool. Um, so yeah, in that moment, actually, there was a there was a photo that had sat around our my my parents' office for years, um, and I think it was 2001, if I'm not mistaken, 01 or 02. Dad won the race at Homestead, and Matt Kenseth won the championship. And y'all can fact check me on that, but I think it was 01, or maybe I don't know. Whenever Matt won his champion. Oh, three. Okay. So he won the race. Dad won the race and, um, Matt won the championship. And there was a photo that sat around, um, of them high-fiving in their cars as they were driving by. And I saw Jimmy kind of taking his victory lap up there and that picture flashed in my head. And I was like, damn, that would be super, super cool to recreate that moment. Um, so yeah, we did. I really hope somebody took that picture because that was really cool. Um, so I hope somebody got it, but that was, um, really what sparked that and what made me want to go do it. They better frame that picture for sure. That was such an awesome moment. And I know it's kind of cliche to say the torch was passed, the guard has changed, whatever, but it's, it's very true. I mean, you, you could put whatever adjectives you want in there and it's, it's really poetic too, to see Jimmy winning his seventh and final championship in 2016 they had to come from the back of the field because they failed pre-race inspection and they won the race to win the title. Chase Elliott, same exact thing. And I'm not saying it's the same exact instance as 1992 when Richard Petty had his last career start and Jeff Gordon had his first cup start. But there is some poetry there when you had the King retiring and Jeff Gordon coming in. Now you have seven-time retiring and Chase winning his first title. That's pretty cool. 
And when you think about it from that perspective, you saw all the emotion from Bill Elliott, Cindy, Chase's mom, Jimmy was there, Rick Hendrick was there, Ryan Blaney was giving him an attaboy on the stage. It was a really cool moment. And I'm sure if you're a fan of Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, or Denny Hamlin, or Kevin Harvick, or anybody else, you're probably just really bitter about it, and I don't doubt that. But at the same time, you got to take a, a step back and look at this and say, wow, this is pretty cool. I'm a fan of NASCAR racing and the most popular driver won the championship, won the race to do it, shared a really cool moment with the greatest driver of all time. That's awesome. And that's what I was doing when I was seeing it all play out. I literally was kind of just smiling as I was like logging on to the post-race Zoom because the moments that we were witnessing live on TV and for the people there in the stands, it was a really, really cool thing to see. Also, it was cool to see some emotion from Chase. We saw a lot at Martinsville after he won, and we also saw a lot in the car right after he crossed the finish line. We know Chase, and he's not really that <laughs> emotional. You know, he doesn't cry a lot, and, and he admits that here. But this is the pinnacle of his profession. He has climbed the mountain, and he has scaled it. He has planted the flag in the sand and said, I am a cup champion. So, of course, he's going to be a little bit emotional. It's a big deal. Yes, I mean this is a moment that heck I I've only dreamt about, and and something that um, heck I I'm still not sure I completely realize what has exactly happened. But you know I just um, I don't feel like I'm a crier uh, in in these situations. Um, but dang, you know I feel like there's going to come a time where I'm probably going to break down and 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 really lose it. Uh, I feel like I, I kind of did there after the race and and then you get caught up in everything else that's going on. So I'm really looking forward to just kind of sitting back and, and looking at everything from a different perspective and just, uh, you know, enjoying it. But I'm also going to enjoy it as I'm living it because this is something that may not ever happen ever again. And I recognize that. And um, it's a moment and, and a time and an accomplishment that, I will never, ever, 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 ever take for granted. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really big deal to me. I, for one, am glad that he's going to enjoy it. And I hope that you guys can tell, by the way, his voice is a little bit lower because the media feed was weird. But I hope you guys can tell that he's pretty genuine that he's like this happy. And Chase, you know, used to be the I hate it for my guys driver and always finished second and was really hard on himself. And now he's being him he's being himself a little bit more openly in the public eye. He's letting people in. He's peeling back the curtain. And I, I could tell for one how genuinely happy he was, and that was cool to see. Also is super happy for his crew chief, Alan Gustafson, who now is a Cup Series champion. They have a really special relationship dating back to I think twenty fifteen when Chase entered the cup series maybe even before when maybe Allen was with him in 2014 when he won the nationwide championship but chase is going to detail their special bond right here because a crew chief and a driver need to be on the same page and Allen goes the extra mile and chase reciprocates that well he you know i think the bottom line about Allen is he wants it more than you and he is going to work harder than you to go get the job done period um you know, he, he's an intense guy, and he's going to outwork you to get it done. I guarantee it. And I've seen that for a long time, and I'm very, very glad that, that he can uh, he can quit and be done and, and be a champion because he, you know, I don't deserve shit, I don't feel like, but I feel like if anybody deserves anything, it's it's him. And I'm, I'm very proud of him for that. How about that quote? I don't deserve shit. <laughs> Again, he, he's making it not about him, but in some ways it is about him because this is the pinnacle. In some ways it's not because we know this is a team sport. If his Jackman doesn't make that move to reestablish himself on the pit wall at Martinsville, does this happen? I doubt it. If Alan Gustafson is not his crew chief, does this happen? I doubt it. it it's a lot of togetherness and teamwork, and as cliche as that is, it's instances like this that, make that a little bit more clear and let's wrap things up with the 2020 cup series champion chase elliott crazy to say that out loud right the last eight or nine days have been insane i was able to ask him a couple questions as well and i'm, I'm thankful for that nascar did a great job with the access they were able to give the reporters that were not able to be on site so here's my questions to chase 
Jace, you said that uh, earlier this week you had no idea what car Allen was bringing. You didn't really worry about any of that with no practice or qualifying. I, I assume that you didn't have any worry about it rolling up the truck being fast. There were no second thoughts there? No, I, I mean, I didn't have any second thoughts for sure. And I, hell, I don't even know. I couldn't tell you what car we ran today currently. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, but, you know, I know that, that when we started the race today, it was in the ballpark. Uh, we fell off. I felt like on a couple runs there, Brad got biased, and um, the next adjustment was good, and the last one was even better. And that's all you can ask for. He's talking about you're going to soak this in. So what are the celebration plans like? Are you going back home or are you staying in Phoenix for the night? Man, good question. I'm going to stay here tonight. I feel like it's late, kind of, seven. So I think I'm going to stick around here tonight and enjoy a night in Phoenix here in November 8th of 2020. And then, um, yeah, I guess I'll go home tomorrow and, I don't know, figure out what's next. I'm, I'm looking forward. I'm going to try to do some racing over the off season, uh, which I'm excited about. And I haven't really spent an off-season racing uh, before, so looking forward to doing that. But, heck, I'm going to enjoy it, enjoy it, enjoy it. We did it. It's done. Um, yeah, that's it. Here we go. Good deal. Congrats. Soak it in. Thank you. <laughs> I giggled at his answer to the celebration aspect of things. He's like on November eighth, two thousand and twenty. Here, he's soaking it in, baby, and I, uh, I, I don't blame him for it at all. Let's get the crew chief's perspective on things. Alan Gustafson. First off, the race itself, coming from the back of the field, battling for the stage two victory with Brad Keselowski, and then waiting for that caution to come out at the end. Chase actually radioed to Allen down the stretch and said, start thinking about what you're going to do if a caution is going to come out or when it's going to come out. And Alan's like, yep, yeah, yep, I got it. So Alan's going to talk about the race itself and what he's seen from Chase lately, overcoming adversity to get to this moment with a chance and then capitalizing on it. Yeah, what an intense race. Um, super competitive, you know, congrats to all the championship four guys. I think that uh, besides us starting in the back, those guys were in the top four or five all day long. So it was just... Uh, Everybody had really fast cars and, and uh, really competitive. And, um, yeah, we were really fortunate to come out on top. And uh, I was a little worried there when the 22 got in front of us on that pit pit uh, exchange, but uh, our car was good enough right then to get past them. So it was a really special day. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I think I'm his biggest fan. I, there's there's his, his ability, his intelligence, his um, the quality person he is. He's just, uh, you know, he's, he's – top notch all the way around. And I think that uh, just going through those situations and succeeding, you know, gives you some confidence to uh, not be indecisive and not second guess yourself and not let doubt creep in when you get into a situation that's, you know, not ideal. And, and when you go through uh, races that are must wins and championship moments like this, um, no matter if you do everything perfect, you're still going to have some adversity to overcome. And uh, I think, you know, him being able to win in those moments has given him some confidence to uh, know that, that he's certainly good enough to do it. I mean, we all know that. Um, and, you know, you can hear it, but until you do it, you just don't know that. And I think that uh, now it's, uh, you know, given him, given him that reassurance. It was a really good question asked by NBC Sports' Dustin Long here. You know, Alan Gustafson has worked with Mark Martin. He's a veteran. He's a Hall of Famer. Jeff Gordon, four-time champion, veteran, Hall of Famer. Casey Mears, um, and now he's worked with Chase Elliott. So how does his approach as a crew chief change based on the driver that he has behind the wheel to work with? He's going to recount a story working with Mark Martin that kind of shaped his crew chiefing skills moving forward. It's it's a bit different, you know, but it's, it's very similar. I, I think I learned something when I worked with Mark Martin and we sat down and um, – you know, obviously he had a huge amount of success and um, we had, we had a you know long conversation about what we need to do and, and how we need to proceed. And I can remember through that conversation, he told me um, to treat him like a rookie. He said, you know, don't treat me like a veteran. Don't treat me like um, I know what I'm doing. Just treat me like a rookie and give me as much information as possible. And, use uh as much information you can to influence me and help me and and move forward and really to be honest with you since that point in time with him um i've taken that philosophy I and mean, he taught me a pretty valuable lesson so 
Uh, regardless if it's Mark Martin, Jeff Gordon, Chase Elliott, uh, the, the the team, uh, myself, we just try to uh, put the drivers in the best position we can to, uh, so they succeed and, and feed them as much information as we can and and try to educate them as much as possible and and uh, try to put them in a position, put their best foot forward. And certainly uh, you got to give them their individual um, you know, leeway or attributes or different things I have. And certain guys are good at certain things, but uh, I think you just try to support them as much as you can. And um, I think we've, we've taken that philosophy with Mark and with Jeff and, and with Chase and, um, and, you know, to be honest with you, Chase is, you know, he's not a normal 24 year old person. That's for sure. Um, he's, he's got the, uh, you know, physical attributes and, skill sets of a 24 year old but he's got the uh, intelligence and experience of someone much older and wiser so you know he acts like he's a 35 year old in his prime so um he he's he he's very similar to uh to uh the the great champions i've worked with before and and, and he's going to be you know every bit as good or better from afar and obviously not like super in tune with chase like on, on a personal level i can totally see his mindset being way older then a 24 about to be 25 year old man. I mean, I can totally see him as like a savvy vet who's his mid thirties, something like that. Um, but team owner, Rick Hendrick, look, <laughs> he's a happy man for sure. Winning never gets old for him. I want to say this is his 12th championship. Let's see. You got seven with Jimmy four with Jeff. So that's 11 one with Terry Labonte. So I guess this is 13. I, I may be wrong on that, but when Jimmy and chase high fived on track, as we talked about before, then they hugged as they were celebrating. Rick Hendrick was a part of that. And that was a really proud moment for him, not just because it was a changing of the guard of sorts, but those are two people with his organization and in his life personally that mean a lot to him. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool the way they met each other on the track. And, and at the end of the race, uh, Jimmy's Jimmy's last first championship. And to see those two guys embrace, that was Really cool. Uh, I think it means a lot to our whole organization. Jimmy is pretty, really special to us, uh, like a part of our family. And Chase is the new kid coming along. Uh, he's not a kid, but uh, he's a champion now. But uh, you know, it, it was it was a special moment to see those two guys embrace. So, and I think they tore the cars up on. Uh, running into each other out there a little bit, but, uh, it was, it was, it was a special, special time and a special place. <laughs> Come on, Rick, let him live a little. I, uh, you gotta know that was coming. His team owner hat outweighed the heart card there. Good for him though. He also actually revealed that when he saw Jimmy to celebrate, that was the first time since March. What is that? Eight months, something like that, that they had seen each other in person. Crazy to think about the most successful driver in his history as a team owner in his final season, and he hasn't been able to interact with his team owner on a personal one-to-one basis. That's that's nuts, but I'm glad that they were able to embrace one last time or one final time, I should say, for Jimmy's last ride. We'll get to Jimmy in a sec, but let's hear from the Chevrolet Motorsports head, Jim Campbell. He, he tells a pretty cool story about when Chevrolet signed Chase Elliott into the Chevy Fold as a 14-year-old kid and it paid off for them ten years later. Yeah, it was a, it was it was absolutely incredible. This playoff format, it um, you know, it, it creates excitement. It creates an immense amount of uh, pressure all the way around. Uh, the teams feel it. We feel it as manufacturers to to uh, deliver in those stages. Uh, the last couple of years, we we didn't didn't make it. The last few years, we did not make it to the final round. Uh, very disappointing, uh, you know. And so we just, uh, but you you know, the whole. The whole phrase, never give up, you can never give up. So the teams have been working hard, um, more work going on than probably people see. And uh, it all came together. And, you know, Chase and, and Alan delivered a, a big win in Martinsville, and then they executed today to put it all together. And that's what it takes. Um, and, um, you know, if uh, you know, you think about the beginning of the season, whether we really have a season and to, to see that all the races, you know, um, got scheduled, got run by the series and uh, to see Chase take it all the way to a championship is incredible. You know, one thing I, I, uh, I just had a couple other items here. Uh, one, um, I remember when I was uh, working at Chevrolet in a different role um, and uh, I got a call from Rick Hendrick, this is 10 years ago. 
Uh, it was on a Saturday. I was preparing for uh, some meetings with our dealers. And uh, Rick said, I just signed Chase Elliott. And of course, I knew his father. Uh, I, I knew of, of him and heard about him. Uh, at that time, he was 14 years old. And think about how far Chase has come. Uh, all the races he's won, an Xfinity Series championship, and now he's a cup champion. It's just an incredible run. And I'll never forget that day that Rick called and said he signed young Chase Elliott, and I'm so glad he did. For the last time, the final time in the Cup Series as a full-time driver, Jimmy Johnson in the media center for a post-race presser. Let's hear his mindset going into the race. Again, his final one as a full-time driver, and he says that, you know, everything considered, his heart is full. Really just excited. Excited to do this, excited to get on track and have this final event. For me, the hardest point was about this time last year when thoughts were heavy in my mind and I, I was going to make the decision and made the decision to myself and my family and then had to go to Rick's house and, and talk that through with Mr. Hendrick. So that point in time was probably the most emotional and most difficult. And as the year has gone by, um, many, many moments of reflection and just pride and then all of that rolled into today and just very excited to be on track. And it was nice to be competitive out there and run, you know, run the top five, finish in the top five. But my bucket's full. I mean, this NASCAR has been so wonderful for me. This journey has been more than I've, I've, I could have ever dreamed of or expected or hoped for. And, um, you know, the last couple of years on track weren't as I've, you know, dreamed up, but I've experienced the highest of highs and um, worked with the greatest people and been with one, one team through this entire journey. And uh, just very thankful for, for all the people that have helped me get here. So all those emotions and all that pride rolled up into just a huge smile today, uh, walking out on the grid. He alluded to it, but P5, fifth place finish for Jimmy in his last race. That's best in class. Hell of a way to go out. And it's very Jimmy-like, I feel. He didn't have the speed co to contend with the championship four, so I don't want it to make it seem like he voluntarily didn't battle for the win. But it's one of those races where it's quiet, it's slow, methodical, good, but it doesn't overpower anything. And that's kind of the Jimmy Johnson that we've seen over the last 15, 20 years, right? It's really cool to see him go out competitive as he, as he talked about. You know, it's one thing to go out as Richard Petty did, crashing on fire and then coming out for a victory lap. Or as Matt Kenseth did or as Clint Boyer did running in, in the teens or the 20s. Jimmy, he did not get the win in 18, 19, or 20, and this was the longest winless drought of his career. But to go out fighting, to go out being competitive, running inside the top five, having race-winning speed, that means a lot. No, it does. I, I didn't realize that was the case, and Evie told me that on pit lane. She said, Daddy, I think you won. I said, no, I finished fifth. So no, the first four cars were in the championship, and you you beat everybody else. So uh, she brought it to my attention and had her own version of me winning, which I appreciated. But um, just a, a good competitive day, and I I could see the eleven up there and was slowly catching him, but just kind of ran out of laps. Um, but it, it was nice to to keep my eyes forward and have a great car and, and race that hard all day long. And finally, yours truly got to ask him a question as well. He tweeted a video earlier on in the weekend about his family and how that was really the only thing that had mattered and got him through his career. And I wanted to know how much they meant to him that specific weekend because, as he says, since Fontana, they haven't been able to be at the racetrack. Hey, Jimmy, COVID has affected this year in a bunch of ways at the track, obviously, and you hadn't been able to have your family with you most of the year. How special was it to have them with you today on what was obviously a really special day for you? Yeah, that was everything. Um, they haven't been to a race since Fontana. So to have them here and have them a part of this uh, is something I really, really hoped could happen. And once I knew we were going to have fans at the track, I felt like the chances were high and very thankful I was able to have them here. As Jeff Gluck says, all right, everybody, that's enough happiness and sappiness for now. So we've heard about Jimmy Johnson. We've heard Jim Campbell, Rick Hendrick, Alan Guffs, and Chase Elliott all the victories and all the winners in this specific scenario. So let's get to the sad part. <laughs> Brad Keselowski finished second in the championship standings, finished second in the race. He may have had something for Chase at the end of things, but as we know, track position, regardless of the 750 or the 550 package, it's still king, and his pit crew, I mean, make no bones about it, they were awful. 
I mean, they lost him five, six spots on two separate pit stops. And I'm not saying that he was going to be able to beat Chase straight up on speed, but not having the track position to get a head start on that or even try, that really hindered him. And in these moments, you got to be perfect. And his pit crew was not. Yes and no. I mean, I feel like I did all I could do. Um, and, uh, you know, with that in, uh, in mind, it's not, you try to shake it off and, and move on. I mean, I can't can't change anything about what happened. And um, and uh, I hate it for my guys that that's the way it played out. But uh, so it goes. Just not good enough for the two crew. Not good enough for the double deuce, the 22 of Joey Logano either. Penske finishes second and third in the race and the championship standings. Logano led a lot of laps. I want to say over like 140 or so and one stage one. Just didn't have quite enough speed to earn a second career championship. Although he is keeping his head up and, and looking on the bright side of things, that's the only way you can as the season's over now. Well, obviously, you know, when you don't win, it hurts. Uh, you know, it's, it definitely stings. Um, you know, I, I told the guys before the race started, though, I said in these situations, when you get to the championship four, you can't lose. Uh, you either win or you become stronger. Uh, unfortunately, we got stronger today. <laughs> and we learned a lot about ourselves and, and learned that we are capable, right? We're capable of, of executing when, when we needed to. We just needed to go faster. Uh, that was that was the one thing. So, um, But I think overall, there's a lot to be proud of um, throughout the season, um, where we've come from, how much we've grown as, as a team, uh, especially with the crew chief swap, uh, you know, throughout the – in the beginning of the season this year and without practice – that was a pretty big hurdle to try to jump. Um, and I feel like we've done a good job through the playoffs, uh, really you know, coming into our own. That makes me really excited about 2021 because we're starting way further ahead than where we did this year, uh, you know, with the schedule being somewhat similar with, with limited practice uh, sessions. Uh, you know, I feel a lot better going into next year than we, than we even did this year. So, um, yeah, a lot to uh, be proud of. You need to look at the silver linings. You need to look at your mistakes and where you can be better. Um, it still doesn't take the pain away, but uh, that's how you get by at least. And in the year that I thought preseason, pre-playoffs, and, and part of me thought pre-championship four, that was going to be Denny Hamlin's, it, it was not meant to be in terms of getting a championship. However, Denny said that coming in here is a successful season. I asked all the championship four participants on media day whether or not getting here is a success. And the, the answers were mixed. The articles on front stretch please feel free to read that. But like Denny literally said at the beginning of the year, they write their goals on, on a whiteboard and nowhere on the whiteboard does it say win the championship. It says get to the championship four. So in one respect, they accomplished their goal. In another respect, they didn't win at all. And given Denny's track record, he's won over 50 times in his career. I think he's rivaling Mark Martin now as the best driver to never win a cup title it's got to sting a little bit, but as he also said on Media Day, the law of averages is bound to work out sometime soon, right? If he keeps putting himself in the title mix, he's going to end up winning one of these years, and 2020 just didn't seem to work out. Yeah, certainly disappointed, but, um, you know, we uh, got to make sure you, you put your expectations kind of in, in check in the sense of, you know, uh, we didn't, our organization just hasn't really been very good on the short tracks uh, this year. Um, you know, it was, it's kind of a learning period for us, but, uh, you know, we put our best effort forward. We had no mistakes today, um, did everything I possibly could, just I had nothing, nothing there to go. And um, I think with our best teammate running 10th and the other guys having two teammates ahead of our best one, it just, uh, you know, we just, our car didn't have enough speed to, to go up there and compete. He said it right there. JGR's just got to get a little bit better on short tracks. The, the best JGR car outside of the 11 was Kyle Busch, and his struggles this season have been documented, but he finished 10th. Um, and obviously, you know, JGR has not been up to snuff this year compared to last year when they won, what, 19 of the 36 races? I mean, they won, what, um, eight races this year, right? Because Denny had the seven, Kyle Busch had the one. Um, but look, I mean, not, not everything's going to go according to plan. It's not always going to work out when you win 19 races in a season. We know that, but JGR definitely did not have the season they wanted to. And I'm sure that they will come back strong in 2021. 
Well, that's it for the Cup Series. We'll get to Xfinity and Trucks, but I, I just want to talk for, for one more minute about the, the moment post-race when Jimmy and Chase slapped gloves and celebrated with each other. I mentioned it, but it was really heartwarming. And Bill Elliott was there. Cindy Elliott was there. Blaney gave him a bro hug. It was one of those feel-good moments. And frankly, from NASCAR's perspective, I mean, I don't know if they'll ever say this, but everybody knows like this is a dream scenario for them too, right? Not only do you get all the races in for Truck, Xfinity, and the Cup Series, not only are you able to have a limited amount of fans at Phoenix the first time they're hosting the championship race, but your most popular driver wins the race as your greatest driver ever, retires and walks off into the sunset running competitively, and Chase and Bill are now the third father-son duo ever to win a Cup Series title, joining Ned and Dale Jarrett, Lee and Richard Petty, and also crazy, I mean, Chase said he's not a big guy on stats, but back in 1988, a nine-car won the Cup Series title with the last name Elliott. The Lakers won the NBA Finals, and the Dodgers won the World Series. And oh, by the way, the number nine car won the CART Championship in 1988. Scott Dixon in the nine car won the IndyCar title in 2020. So look, man, the universe is is, is weird, and it works in weird ways. I think that's poetic, and I, and I really think the moment when Jimmy and Chase tapped gloves and went their separate ways. That that was a really seminal moment. The torch was passed, and I think we're going to remember that moment for a really, really long time. I'm not saying Chase is going to win seven titles. I don't think he will. I don't think this is going to be Chase's last title, but Chase has been the leader on track in terms of performance at Entrick Motorsports for the last two, three years, and Kyle Larson's coming in next year. Alex Bowman's staying, so is William Byron. Chase Elliott's going to be 25 years old next year. He's not going to be the oldest driver at Hendrick, but he's going to be the most accomplished. And I think he now has the pedigree on track winning this championship to tell himself, like, look, I can lead this organization. I can bring us back to the promised land because not only have I been confident in my abilities, now there's something tangible to show for it. So that passing of the torch moment was really interesting, really cool to see. And with that... The 2020 Cup Series season is over. Got to give the Xfinity and the Truck Series their due as well, right? They crowned their champions this weekend. We'll start off with Xfinity on Saturday evening. Austin Sindrick wins it. Pit strategy almost backfired for him and Brian Wilson in the 22 camp. But there were enough cars that were not on the lead lap to make it feasible to pit late, then come out on old tires. Instead of being like 15th, I think he was like 6th. And it worked out swimmingly for them, for sure. They win the championship past Justin Allgaier and Noah Gregson at the end to win the race. And Austin Sindrick, his dad, Tim Sindrick, competition director, I believe, over at Team Penske. A lot of people will look at that and say, oh, he has a ride because of his last name. And, oh, his dad's just a guy who works there. Kind of similar situation to Cole Custer. So does this change the perception of Austin as the driver, being that his last name is Sindrick? Or does it not even matter? Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't really even. That's the first time I've thought about that this whole week. So uh, I guess uh, I guess it's not on the forefront of my mind. But um, as far as my own uh, perception or the perception of others, obviously we've gone out here and done everything there is to do in the Xfinity Series this year. We, we've 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 gotten six wins. We've we've gotten both championship trophies. So uh, for me and my team, that's that's all we need. Um, but uh, the the support that I've had this year outside has, has been. To me, surprising. It's been new to me. You know, I, when I when I started, I made a lot of mistakes um, on a national level, and uh, got got told by a lot of people about all the things I do wrong. And um, this year has been overwhelmingly supportive, and and that's been kind of cool to experience. I'm not someone that really reads too many of the comments or anything on social media, but everything that I do see on the things that I post and the people that loyally follow me, it's 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 pretty satisfying to know that uh, I've come I've come that far. Really honest answer there from Austin. I enjoyed his perspective there. Five wins on the year for him, and and this is actually the first year that he won on an oval, which is crazy to think about that he wins a championship the same year. It's been a huge learning curve, and he seemed to come to his own as a well-rounded race car driver, not just a guy who has specialties on road courses. So what changed in this year specifically behind the wheel? Uh, I mean, I'm not sure a whole lot's been been different since the start of the season. I, I think I think this is something that's been a long time coming. I really think about my first time coming here was in 2015. 
uh, subbing for Austin Terrio in the truck, second truck start. Uh, never seen this place in my life. And I struggled in practice. I had no idea what I was doing. And I started to figure out here, here and there. And um, I talked to Max Pappas on the grid. And he's obviously someone that has a background more similar to mine. And he pulled me aside. He says, look, I watched you all practice. And these cars don't do what you think they're doing. Like, they, they don't do what you're expecting them to do. And, and, and we talked about this for a while. And, and that was a great mindset change for me early on to, to understand that I have to approach these cars in, in, in a different way. And in a lot of ways, a, a lot of the opposite things make these cars click. And uh, for me, that's been a progression, whether if it's um, how to get lap time out of the race car or, or how to ask for, for what I need throughout a race. Um, and, and I'm quite proud of that. And I'm quite proud of the relationship I've built with Brian Wilson. He and I trust each other like, uh, like, like we're brothers. Um, so it's, it's been fun to, to build that up because when, when we raced here in the spring, I thought we were really good on the bottom. I thought we had a shot to win the race, had a shot to race with Kyle Busch. And uh, as the track moved up, we, we weren't any good anymore. And um, I, had, I had problems at X, Y, and Z, and I need help here. And we need to do these, these things to, to be better. And, and those guys went to work between Brian and, and Matt Moat, my engineer, and Cody Sauls. Those guys did an incredible job. I think we, 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 we tickled a little air pressure out of it today, and that's it. I mean, it's amazing. The, the, things, the, the amount of things we changed and, and how, how close we were, um, I'm, I'm very proud of that effort. And I think that's, that's, that's a big deal in, in my progression on, on racing on these types of tracks with these types of cars. Team owner Roger Penske actually revealed that they almost shut down the Xfinity program during the pandemic shutdown, which was, what, eight, nine weeks, something like that. Uh, good thing they didn't because it yielded a title for him. And I understand that this is not the moneymaker. And I think Tim Sindrick said that, or maybe Austin did, in the post-race presser. But to have a pipeline and to have young talent being developed within the Penske fold, that's a big deal when you look 10, 15 years down the line. So the fact that this almost didn't pan out makes it even all that more remarkable. I think, um, you know, all these young guys kind of hit a certain stage and maybe they're flat out for a while. But I think that uh, interesting is we got into uh, the COVID situation mid-March. Uh, I went to Tim. I said, you know, maybe because we don't know what's facing us, we might have to maybe, you know, maybe shut down the Xfinity team for maybe a few races in order to see what's going to happen. And I think that uh, at that point we got together and said, hey, we're going to go full bore. And I think Austin obviously knew that he had to show what he could do. And I think that uh, his focus and really when you think about Brian Wilson and that whole 22 team, what they've been able to do work together. Austin is committed. Uh, he's at the shop with those guys. I mean, he works with them. It's all he's doing. He's focused. And I think like any athlete, you get better. We've tried to give him good equipment. You can see today that uh, he was flawless. I mean, restart after restart, you know, green, white checker at the end, you know, he's a pro, he's a champion today. And I think uh, one more year in this series is going to prepare him to get in the cup. And I think you need that stair step to get there. But, you know, with Menards, uh, you know, big sponsor and certainly Ford, you know, we got people that want to see him, you know, be a champion. And this is the first step. There's no question. So I just think it's uh, really part of learning and part of growing up. What about the perspective on Austin's title from dad, Tim Sindrick? Well, this is not him as a dad, but as a competition director and or whatever his title is. He actually tried to convince Austin not to race when they were starting out this journey. That didn't work. And to see how he's made a name for himself as a driver on track with the last name Cindric, but also as a man off the track as Tim kind of gloats about his son here. That makes him a really proud dad. Yes, he's a champion. Yes, he works with him at Penske. But more than anything else... The growth that he's seen from Austin off the racetrack, translating a little bit to his talent and performance and achievements on it, that's what makes him proud. I think every driver has to prove himself. Um, you know, for for him, I've always told him that, that what he needs to do is earn the respect of those that know him, those that are around him, and those that are in the team. And if he can earn the respect of the guys that work on that car every day, then you'll you'll start to earn the respect of everybody else. But the first thing you have to do is earn the respect of the people around him. And yeah, I guess the proudest thing I've been isn't really his successes on the track, but the way in which he's handled himself otherwise. And, you know, I think when you see the support that he's had, not just from the Penske organization, which, you know, I can't thank everybody enough, you know, within our team, because it's, it's a tough deal to, you know, be the, the boss's, you know, kid working on his car or whatever else. And, 
as Roger said, you know, I've, I've tried to be the parent that, that steps back and, you know, lets that thing develop itself. And if he deserves an opportunity, um, you know, hopefully he's within our organization. But um, what I've always been most proud of, and I, I see it on my phone blowing up, is all the people that he's raced with. And when you look at all the different series he's raced and all the different teams he's raced for, um, those are the people that know him the best. And, you know, from the outside, uh, you know, he's got very thick skin. Um, he, he's known that it's going to be a tough road. I told him from the very beginning when he was 10 years old that uh, this this really wasn't the road I wanted him to take. And, you know, he's been able to do that, obviously, with the support of people like Roger. And, you know, the Ford group has really, really stepped up for him all the way back to the Mustang days. Um, you know, Jamie Allison helped him get his first ride at, at Road Atlanta in a kind of a, a mid-pack Mustang. And uh, it was that race really that put him on the map to uh, to go forward with the Ford Group. So, yeah, it's it's something that uh, yeah he's always kind of had a double standard, and he always will. But I think he's already accepted that. One spot short and one lap shy of the title for Justin Allgaier, who seems to be making a name for himself as like the Denny Hamlin of the Xfinity series. It seems he, uh, as I mentioned, stayed out on old tires and was a bit of a sitting duck, as was Brett Moffat, who we'll get to in a minute. <laughs> But per usual, Justin, all class, reflects on the season as a whole at Junior Motorsports, one that was not the best statistically. It was it was up there for sure, but he had a handful of wins, and he went down swinging to the very last minute. Yeah, I mean, you know, the race was such an interesting race, and, you know, we saw the similar uh, scenario play out last night. I mean, I, I knew that uh, when we chose to take that tire, the set of tires, our last set with 30 to go or whatever, um, it was going to be a, a, a battle to the end. And, and you know, obviously, um, the end result of the, the finishing position, we dropped from second to fifth. Um, that was things a little bit. But, uh, you know, Austin had the best card line. Hats off to that whole team. Um, team I mean, they did a, a fantastic job being prepared for tonight. And, and we did as well. And I think that's probably the hardest part for me is um, everybody at Team Sports. Our, our, our brand professional coach tomorrow was, was really good tonight. And, and I would even dare say the, the best car I've had uh, here at Phoenix in, in, in my time in Xfinity. And, and I think that that's, that's probably the hardest part to swallow, I would say, for, for, for the most part. Um, I'm disappointed. You know, this racetrack for me uh, lost a lot when we put PJ1 down. And, and I felt like, um, you know, if we had been able to run the bottom like normal and not been sucking that, that high groove, I thought we definitely would have had the best car. So I'm disappointed in that. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the race there, we were on old tires. I knew that it was going to be sketchy at best. Uh, to be honest with you, to finish with, uh, it's actually really surprising to me that we were able to stay that close. Um, you know, Austin got a, a massive run through the middle of three and four. And, and, you know, my teammate did a great job of trying to pull up and, and, and you know, obviously race for the win. I mean, that's what he needed to do. He needed to end the season strong. Um, but I thought, I mean, if he could have just got up a little bit in front of the 22 and, and been able to block that run, uh, we may have had a little bit more of a shot, but it just wasn't meant to be. And, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, to come out of here fifth to uh, to finish second at points after the year that we've had, after the year that we've all had, um, you know, I, I'm not complaining. Uh, I'm going to. I'm going to get, uh, you know, probably a couple of days rest and, um, you know, grab bootstraps and, and, you know, start getting ready for 2021. The other Justin, Justin Haley, comes home in third place for College Racing. Best career finish in the championship for him. Best finish for College Racing as well. Their first championship four appearance. And honestly, he's just happy to be here, <laughs> to have been here with a shot at it. It's awesome. Um I mean, just uh, breaking records, obviously, right? You you are in the championship four, and you want to go win the championship. But um, I've been in this position before at GMS in the final four. And, um, you, you know, as a driver, all you really can ask for is, is to make to to the championship race, right? Like, whatever happens after that, like, it's just, I mean, it's life. Life goes on. It's part of it. So being able for all of them to experience it, right? Like, even the, the shop guys having the added pressure, and not making any mistakes. Nothing fell off the car. Car was great all day, um, and and we found a good bit of speed. Just just uh, having reps and, and that kind of stuff, so we can come back next year and, and, and be stronger. After winning nine times at Stuart Haas Racing, as did Kevin Harvick, his counterpart in the Cup Series, Chase Briscoe finishes last out of the championship four, fourth in the championship standings. He actually spun out really late, which brought out a caution that made the pit strategy go bonkers for everybody. And people were hypothesizing that it was on purpose. And 
I know Door Bumper Clear thought that, and some other people were saying it. Austin Sendrick was thinking about it. Chase clears the air from his perspective and says, nope, no, sir, would not have done that. It was just embarrassing to spin out, especially when the – I mean, truthfully, we weren't going to probably win regardless, and the 22 is leading the race, and that's – the main priority is for a Ford to win, and I've never felt so little in my life thinking that if he didn't end up winning, it was um, going to be costly. I was just so loose all day long. And I just – I don't – I don't know if I wheel hopped or what. I really don't. I just know that I went in there and the 61 got in a little bit slower than I thought he was going to. And I was sideways behind him and counter steering. And I just got out of the the grip stuff and it spun me out. Um, you know, I about spun out four or five times once in three and then two or three other times into one and hit the wall a couple of times too. I was just really loose all day long. And, uh, you know, it just it got me there at the end. But this year was a big one for him. On track, off track, he changed as a driver. He changed as a man, obviously, with Marissa, unfortunately, suffering a second miscarriage. They've grown a lot off track as a family. And on track as a driver, he's going to get a great opportunity for him next year in the Cup Series. 2020 is going to go down as a good year on track for Chase, but possibly even a more important one off track. Yeah, it's been a, a huge year. Um, obviously, just from you know where we started the year to to where I'm going to be come February, you know I, I didn't think that was really possible to be honest with you. And to to have the year that we had to, to now get promoted to go to the Cup Series, um, you know it's it's definitely been a big year on the racetrack. It's been been tough off the racetrack. Um, but yeah, I mean it obviously sucks right now sitting here knowing that we ran fourth in the championship, but. I think, you know, a week from now, two weeks from now, it's it's going to still be something to hang our head high about, you know, to, to win nine races um, is a big deal. So, you know, the championship didn't work out, um, but, you know, that's, that's part of it. You can't worry about that. Um, you know, just proud to, to have won nine races and to be aligned with, you know, such a great race team. The truck series race was pretty good, and the finish was bananas. Where's Gwen Stefani when you need her? Jeff Stankiewicz makes the call to pit Sheldon Creed with about two or three laps to go. Uh, I think he was running like second or third or maybe fourth, I don't know, among the championship contenders. So he restarts eighth. Brett Moffitt stays out on old tires, and Sheldon just goes ape you-know-what and mows him through the field. The Robbie Gordon protege, baby. He's now a NASCAR National Series champion. Oh, boy, Sheldon Creed. How'd you get that done, my friend? Yeah, I was um, planning on running third uh, for the championship. They were fourth in the race, and caution come out. Jeff and I talked about it a little bit on the radio and figured we had nothing to lose. We're going to run fourth in the championship at worst, and we were already third. So um, wanted to pit and, and at least have a shot there. So four tires. I think we got two rounds down the track bar and no fuel. So we tightened it way up because I was extremely free. And, just had a plan to to run the bottom and just try to pick up as many guys as I could and was trying to watch where they were, was trying to watch the the 18 because um, I was on the inside of him and I was trying to, to clear him right away just because I didn't want to get free underneath them on exit and was able to do that. And then I was kind of watching up the track a little bit and I'm seeing the 51 just bombsied his way in there and I kind of checked him up. I need to watch the replay again and see all what happened. But it looks like the 51 just slid up the racetrack and kind of checked the whole lineup, uh, checked the 98 up. And I was just able to get to the gas extremely fast and almost be even with them. And then, um, yeah, I just got clear off of four there and, and just had to put together a good lap. Short and sweet for the second-place finisher, Zane Smith. On to next year. Uh, I felt like I did everything I could there. Um yeah, I, I don't know what else I could have done differently. Yeah, you can tell he's a little uh, little peeved off about that one. Grant Anfinger didn't have enough speed in, in the totality of things for Thor Sport. He wasn't really ever a contender for the win, but this is a career-defining season for him in the 98 truck. It is what it is. They'll come back stronger next year and try to replicate that success. You know, up and down, um, our, our ability to um, overcome obstacles and, and take advantage of the situation feel like was really good this year. Um, overall speed um, at some of the places was down, but but honestly, the short tracks and stuff like that, it was way up. So um, overall, just kind of uh, 
a strange year, um, up and down year. Uh, proud of proud of our guys, man. Uh, very very disappointed with uh, with how tonight went. Um, but uh, man, just gonna try not to hang our head too low because uh, because it was overall a great year. Brett Moffitt does not give a flying fadoodle anymore. Uh, he was leading, but then when the caution came out, he was pissed off about that. Rightfully so. Dawson Cram brought out the yellow, and he he's got to have a little bit more situational awareness than that. So the yellow comes out, and he wasn't really pissed that he lost the championship. He was pissed at the communication and the strategy, or maybe lack thereof, that was pretty much going on all season long with his crew chief and GMS Racing. And, I mean, listen to what he says here, because the way that it appears, he is not coming back to GMS next year, and he does not care. (laughs) And GMS removed him from their Twitter bio after the race. I think that pretty much says it all because Brett Moffitt here was uh, not holding anything back. Just out there on old tires. Um, longest run or most laps on a set of tires we had all night. And you stay out like a sitting duck. And uh, yeah, it just is what it is. I don't know. I have nothing to say, really. I mean, I wanted some information on <laughs> what it was looking like. And all they tell me is there's chatter. And then everybody comes down pit road and, uh, there's not enough cars to to block the new tires. So um, race strategy has been a downfall of us all year, for sure. We've thrown away multiple wins because of it, and it's frustrating to lose a championship because of it. Yeah, tell me how you really feel, Brett. <laughs> I mean, he's uh, he's actually unapologetically himself on Twitter, and, and I love that. Um, so we'll see what next year holds for him. We'll get to that in Lug Nuts of the Week, perhaps. Finally, last but not least, Arkham Menard Series West was in action for their season finale at Phoenix. And guess what? The old man still got it. David Gilliland earns the W for DGR Crosley. The East Drivers dominated. I think they had like eight of the top ten cars out West. His first win since 2012, the K&N West race at Sonoma. And this is actually his first win under the ARCA banner. So that's pretty cool. Boss Man puts her P1. How about that? Oh, uh, it was uh, it was exciting. Phoenix, since they've uh, always since I've been coming here, has put on incredible races. But now with uh, the restarts and the way they are, it uh, it gets exciting. So it was exciting there at the end, and um, <clears throat> I was holding my breath. I'm sure I'm sure watching it, you had to be. So I'm um, just really proud of our guys and everybody to come out here and uh, and win um, my first Arca ra- Arca win. So that's kind of cool. But um, getting a little old for first, I guess. But. <laughs> It's, uh, it's a lot of fun and a great day for our company, first, third, and fourth, so i um, really proud. I was actually wondering this, but why did he even compete in this race? It it seems kind of random. Like, if anything, you'll probably put Haley Deegan in the, in the car, but David explains why he ran in this race, and it's actually a pretty interesting backstory as he's wearing his son, Todd Gillen's fire suit, by the way, which I thought was hilarious, and that ties into this. Uh, one, one really special thing. And, and the real reason I even raced this race was because the car, we built a brand new car for Todd when he came here and he won, uh, in 2015. And that car, we sold the Bill McAnally racing and they used it a little bit and we bought it back. And, uh, that car was sitting in our shop and, and that's the car that I won in today. So, uh, pretty special to be able to, to drive that, our original first K&N slash ARCA car that we ever built as a company. Um, to, to bring it back here and win with it again uh, makes today just that much more special. And to win in a car that Todd won into is uh, pretty neat. And, of course, BMR's Jesse Love wins the championship. That's five out of the last six K&N, huh, put a dollar in the swear jar, ARCA West championships for BMR and Bill McAnally Racing. Jesse pretty much had a stranglehold on on the title all season long. I think at the beginning – Blaine Perkins was leading it. Trevor Huddleston was up there, but it became apparent as the season went on. I think there were 10 or 11 races in total that Jesse was going to be the car to beat and BMR. Obviously they are the team to beat. So he beat Blaine Perkins who actually had to uh, end the race a little bit early, but he finished 14th. So not a great day, but when you leave the track with the trophy and a championship, I'd say that the day is pretty serviceable. Hey, Jesse, congrats on the championship. I know that you knew this was the likely outcome going into today, but just curious the feeling from your perspective now that you've actually accomplished it. Yeah, I'm super pumped. And uh, it was one of those things where it was, you know, 
not locked up or anything like that, but, uh, you know, the nine car still had a chance to win it, especially with the car counts and the amount of competition, everything like that. It was still on the table. So, um, you know, I just knew kind of, you know, when the race started that I just had to control everything that I could control and, you know, kind of put my pride aside and, and just, you know, try to race the, you know, the nine car and, you know, not put myself in any situations. And if I could find a gap, then I would drive, you know, forward to get to that gap or I would just back off to get to that gap where I can just be by myself and, and not have to, uh, you know, get any dog fights or anything like that. So I had to be smart about it, but it was, you know, it was killing me. I wish I could, uh, you know, been more aggressive and been able to race really hard, but one of those deals and uh, obviously it's cool paid off in the championship. So not a bad uh, way to happen. This is the fifth title for BMR in the last six years. What is a uh, team owner, Bill McNally done for you from a leadership perspective this season, as well as your crew chiefs? Yeah, he's done, you know, a phenomenal job with the whole team and everybody at BMR has done a great job. And, um, you know, we've definitely, you know, come a long way and, and we've won a lot of races this year and, and got a lot of pulls and let a ton of laps. So, um, you know, really great job by all the guys at BMR and um, just, a, you know, really fun, fun uh, whole year in general. And thus ends racing in 2024 NASCAR. Been a fun ride, right? The things that I'll take away from this year, I actually tweeted it and it kind of like went semi-viral. I don't know how that happened, but there's like four specific images that I tweeted and I think those are what I'll take away. One of them is Ryan Newman walking out of the hospital, Halifax Medical Center in Daytona with his daughters in hand after that horrifying wreck where we all feared the worst. The second image is an empty grandstands at Darlington Raceway, the first race weekend that NASCAR returned to action after nine weeks of shutting down because of COVID. The next picture is Bubba Wallace standing in solidarity with his team owner, Richard Petty, with the entire field behind him, literally getting goosebumps as I say it, at Talladega after the noose was found in his garage stall. And the last image is the most recent one, and it's the one that I've alluded to a couple times in the show, Jimmy Johnson and Chase Elliott bumping gloves and high-fiving after the torch was passed. There's been a lot of ups, a lot of downs that have gone on in this season, and it's nuts to me that we got it all in. I... It's kind of like being beaten to a pulp, like NASCAR should be commended for getting all 36 races in. Like, all right, shut up, everybody. But it, it is really true. Like, when you think about it, no other professional sports league was able to do that. The NBA didn't do it. They went to a bubble. The NHL didn't do it. They went to a bubble. Major League Baseball didn't do it. They had labor strikes, and that, that didn't happen. The NFL, hopefully they'll be on track to do it. College football isn't going to be able to do it. What NASCAR was able to do without a bubble being the traveling circus that they are, and doing what they did for the totality of the race season, getting all the races in for the sponsors, all the races in for the race teams, it really should be commended. And actually, Chase Wilhelm, a former guest on the show, quoted that tweet of mine and said this, these four photos sum up what we're thankful for, which is Newman, what we're able to accomplish, which is returning after COVID, what we need to fight for, which is the Bubba picture, and what the future holds for our sport. And I thought that summed it up really, really well. And also, Dan Hogdon, I think I'm pronouncing that right. So, Dan, if you're listening, hopefully I did that right. He said, well put, any of these images could have defined a season in 2020. They all happened in less than nine months. And I didn't think of that either. I was just looking at it as a season as the whole. But it's it's nuts. It, Chase kept saying after he won the championship, like, it's nuts. And he couldn't really believe it. I can believe that it happened with NASCAR because I'm going to say, I don't think that this happens if Brian France is in charge. And I don't think that's like a hot take by any means. I just think the outside the box thinking that Steve O'Donnell, Steve Phelps, John Bubbo, Tom Bryant, like everybody on the coronavirus, not really a task force, don't want to make it political, but all the people that made it happen, they had to think outside the box. They raced in the middle of the week. They did double headers. They did away with practice and qualifying. They went to new venues. They didn't have fans in the stands, but they were able to get it all done. 2020, once COVID hit, it didn't become, let's put on a great show for the fans. It became, let's get through this. And if we're going to do it, we got to do it together. We got to start pulling on the same rope in the same direction. And NASCAR did an exceptional job of that. So, 
They really should be commended, and I don't think that can be understated. Lug nuts of the week. Really quick one. Cue that funky music, white boy. Bubba Wallace was named the 2020 Comcast Community Champion of the Year. Kudos to him, and there's going to be a $60,000 donation to his charity, I believe, as well as a donation to Matt Collig and Clay Campbell's charity of choice. So great for Comcast for doing good by those people. I don't think there was any silly season news this week, but Ryan Priest apparently is expected to return to the 37 car at JTG Doherty Racing. Uh, there were some questions about that. Corey LaJoy has yet to announce his plans. I know he said on Sunday Money that he's going to, going to announce it there, so we'll see. There's there's one left, apparently. By the way, Corey, um, I, I, was, I was like debating tweeting it, but I don't want to like get in a, a shitstorm or whatever. Corey, if you're looking for a host, I'm available. Brett Moffitt, uh, I mentioned we talked about him in Lugnuts. There's nothing official, but there was some speculation on DBC, and, and it makes sense that he may be going full-time Xfinity racing with our motorsports in the number 0-2 Chevrolet for next year. They've had a really, really solid handful of runs this year in that car, really punching above their weight. Brett's a hell of a driver, as we know, and as, as we heard, it seems like he's burned that bridge with GMS, so I would not be shocked to see him back in the 0-2 car full-time Xfinity next season. That will wrap things up for an audio clip-heavy episode number 81 of victory lane 2.0 hope you guys like what you heard if you didn't let me know and if you did (laughs) leave a rating and a review subscribe to this podcast you know where we're available itunes spotify google Podcasts, soundcloud we should be available wherever you consume your podcast and if we're not drop me a line and i'll try to rectify that issue for you guys until next week when we will have brett holmes arkham menard series champion on the show peace and love Keep washing those hands. Hope you survive this weekend with no racing. Get some sleep, everybody, who's been working night and day to get this season in. And we'll catch you on the flip side.